that should have been said about equality is obviously a lie. Obviously a lie. Blacks are dumber. Vietnamese that I, I researched when I was doing an article for Playboy about Vietnamese gangs in Orange <laughs> County. Those, those guys, they came over on, you know, rafts made of popsicle sticks and had mansions and Maseratis by the time they were 22. I started believing in most, all of the research I've seen backs it up that people who grew up under different evolutionary selection pressures develop different aptitudes based on their environment. Some environments favored intelligence, some, some favored brute strength. So that's it. I, I mean, I, to me, Christian, I think with Christianity, it's enduring legacy is people don't know what the hell to do with their guilt. And Christianity is like, that's oh, just taken care of. That's faith. Okay. Now go ahead. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for lying down on the psychiatrist's couch. So <laughs> doc, Dr. Dr. Jones will now take over from here. <laughs> and I, these are known as Sigmund Freud called them screen memories. Okay. They are there to distract us from something that you don't want to talk about, but you do want to talk about. And I'm talking about your sex life. Let's talk about your sex life, Jim, and how that. Yeah, I knew it. You're the say, Let's you're not the talk about cop. mine, but go ahead. Freddie Mercury doesn't think about gay sex as much as you do, pal. You want to talk about the 80 women I've been with, my gorgeous current one, three wives? I don't talk about gay sex. Do you think that? Do you ever. think that? I'm not. I'm not uh, in, uh, implying that you're a homosexual at all. I'm just saying. Do you think your sex life had something to do with the fact that you're no longer a Catholic? Nothing at all to do with it. No. I was. Okay. I was so. I was such. This is how how committed I was. I, I I like got intense about religion at like age fourteen and nine months, and then just you know fell away from it because I couldn't reconcile what I saw as the million contradictions about sixteen and a half. That entire time, and that's primo when your hormones are just surging. I jerked off once. I was a Catholic. Like I said, the nun, sex had nothing to do with it. It had to do with maybe I'm autistic, and maybe autistic is just a slur word for people who put logic over emotions and social approval. There's no way that the Bible, as it's written, there's no way it's true. That was it. Okay, I but can't. You want to gaslight me and say what my real motivations are? I think I think, there's no I, use in arguing over that. I think I think it is your real motivation, but no. <laughs> okay, you know, I think but that that's uh, one of those motivations and stuff you really can't argue about. Right? I know I can't I can't yeah. go any farther than that, other than right, proposing right. it. Uh, but I will also I will say that lust darkens the mind. I think that's true. I think that you're a victim of the what I described in uh, libido dominandi, the sexual social engineering of the entire. Catholic Church in America, uh, you're part of that collateral damage that took place because when you, it was two parts, you know, breaking up the Catholic neighborhoods, disrupted the transmission of the faith, and then the double whammy is the sexual revolution, which basically got people so self-involved uh, that they couldn't see uh, straight anymore, uh, and uh, they ended up being completely deracinated, cut off. Wow, Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. You know, Gemma, I didn't charge him a nickel for that. I should have charged him $100 an hour for psychoanalysis, but I didn't charge him a nickel. $100 a second. I mean, that, <laughs> that clip should be shown to every single white boy. <laughs> Uh, like, where can we start with it? I just felt like well, the guy, I don't know who he is, but he's such an idiot. But his greatest loser line in all of that 
was boasting about the fact that I think he was implying he had slept with 80 women. Is that yeah. is that actually what he implied there? Yeah, I think he said that. Actually, Gemma, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little disappointed that he had only slept with 80 women. I expected him to be up there with Don, <clears throat> Don Juan, who slept with 1,003 uh, women in Spain alone. So I'm a little disappointed, Jim. But anyway, whatever it is, whether it's 80 or 90, uh, you don't understand what happened to you. You're you're the classic example of uh, what I've been talking about all along here, where I say that the, I used to say that the white boy is a Protestant who doesn't go to church anymore. Well, in this case, it's a Catholic who doesn't go to church anymore. And so that he can justify his sleeping around. What, what's, the, what's the male version of a slut, uh, you know, someone who throws it around like he does? Like, what's the male version of that? What would you call him? What, no, he, did they say, was, was the word Lothario? Do you know the word Lothario? They used to say that's that. not on the same level as slut. You see, because women actually get all of the blame for this promiscuity. There's lots of words for slut, female words for slut. But there's very few for men. And in fact, it is men who should be taking responsibility for the pandemic, the, the virus of promiscuity and, and sluttish behavior in many ways, you know, because they are supposed to be at the top of the hierarchy. But he's proud I, of this. These women that he has chewed up and spat out as cheap lays and... You know, this is something that he's proud of. And this is so indicative of so many of these white boys. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're onto something, too, about the vocabulary here. Uh, it, it seems to me there, there is more, more words for promiscuous women than there are for promiscuous men. And I think there's a double standard here. I think there's a, to be honest with you, I think there's a double standard in nature. And the example I would give would be Ulysses in the Odyssey. Now, Ulysses has slept with a number of women, but the whole plot revolves around Penelope and the fact that she didn't sleep with anyone. There were suitors coming to Penelope, and they all wanted to marry her at least, uh, and uh, she fended them all off, and she had to remain faithful the whole time that uh, Ulysses was away. And I think there's basically a double standard in nature where women are held to a higher standard. <clears throat> and when they fall, they're treated worse than men are. And I think that Christianity changed this, but, uh, you know, grace perfects nature. It doesn't destroy it. And I think that there, the nature is still there. And I think that it's also in the, uh, the Bacchae, a, a Greek tragedy I talked about, uh, that came hundreds of years uh, after that. But basically, P uh, Pentheus, who's king of Thebes, realizes that the social order has fallen apart when the women leave their looms. It doesn't say anything about men. It's when women leave their looms. In other words, well, the loom is where you weave the cloth, and that's in the home. And if the women leave the home, it's disaster for the city. The city is going to fall. And he, uh, at that point, decides that he has to do something and that's when he captures Dionysus who's the god that these women are all worshipping and uh, he says uh, would you like to see the women naked on the mountainside 
And Spentheus uh, says, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I would. So he immediately succumbs to his concupiscence, to his carnal pleasure, and goes up there. Anyway, he gets destroyed because the women have leave, left their looms. It's the women who are the cause, who are the, the, the final bulwark against social dissolution. And so when you when you understand that, you can understand how what a devastating effect feminism had on the West. Well, it, it turns women in, into whores and baby killers. Right. Because they suddenly decide that their careers and money is more important. And if a baby comes along, well, that's an inconvenience. So they can kill their own flesh and blood. It turns them into psychos, turns them into murderers. That's what feminism does. No, I know. I know. I mean, on a, on a lesser scale, there was a lady who's a feminist. She's now in charge of the food, so the food something or other in London. And uh, she said, wrote an article, said basically, I'm responsible for obesity in London. Oh. And she said that because when I was in, in the 1970s, I persuaded all of these women that they didn't have to cook, that they, 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 they could be liberated from food. Well, they did it, and the result was all their children became obese because they all ran off to some fast food joint. Now, that's a minor level, but it's very similar. Instead of leaving the loom, these women left the stove, and when they left the stove, the society fell apart. It's that simple. So it shows you that the importance of women in maintaining the social order. Well, exactly, because the fact that they're not in the home means that it, it has a direct link to um, death rates, soaring death rates, soaring obesity. Obesity is one of the biggest killers. And we see these tubby children walking around being fed on McDonald's, being fed on um, ready meals and home cooking. What's that? Because mom is in the door at the same time as dad, six in the evening. Everyone's exhausted, bickering at each other. And the children are you know, becoming morbidly obese, thinking about cutting off their reproductive organs in the hope of getting some sort of a reaction from their parents who don't even communicate with them anymore. And um, and they're allowing all of this indoctrination to go on in school. They're, the parents are terrified of the schools. They will not go into the schools and say, stop it right here. What you're teaching my children is completely grotesque. And it's got to stop. They won't. They won't do it. So, no. but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it goes back to this conversation, though, doesn't it? Really, like you know, because we discuss this a lot, Mike. You know that the the use the use of the term white it is a cop out. You know, oh, this is a classic example. I hope everyone in Ireland is watching here. <laughs> I hope you're all watching and you will understand why you're not white, because white means something very specific here. Nature abhors a vacuum. And when this man abandoned his Catholic faith, he had to fill it with something and he filled it with the idea of white boyness and all of that ridiculous uh, IQ, DNA, evolutionary rubbish that's all uh, basically a, to disguise himself from the fact that he has no identity anymore. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. But I mean, why did he bring up homosexual? 
I don't. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the, a classic Freudian slip, well, I suppose. Is, I, maybe you that's a Freudian to... slip. Maybe, maybe the guilty flea where none pursueth here. I didn't mention homosexual at all, and suddenly he brought it up. So I don't know what that means. You'll but, have to, Gemma. You'll have to get Jim Goad on your show. And then you'll have to pursue that line of questioning. I have never heard of the guy. I don't know who he is, but to me, he's the opposite of him. Of, and I hope he's he he probably will see this. But he should be absolutely ashamed of himself for um, you know basically telling the world that he is a male slut, the opposite of slut, male version right. of it. Right. There's well, nothing you know that he should be proud of the fact that he's had eighty women. I mean. What, how did he leave these 80 women? Did he leave them with broken hearts? Did he leave them with children? Did he leave them with abortions? How did he, did he just abandon them with broken hearts? Has he left this big string of women behind him and he doesn't give a shit? He's as long as he calls himself white. Sorry. Well, there's no, there's no, there's no morality associated with being white. That's there's nothing. So that's that's a, uh, an attraction, I think, for someone who has this burden of guilt. He's the first one that said guilt, by the way, in that conversation. He's the first yeah. one who brought it up, and he said somehow that it has something to do with Catholicism. Well, Catholicism relieves your guilt because you can go to sacramental confession. And that is a privilege that uh, we Catholics took for granted, I think. Uh, our, our, he's, he's about 20 years younger than me. But we both went to Temple University. Uh, and he came along in, in Philadelphia. In yeah, both yeah. of us were in Philadelphia. The, I first met him when I did a show with uh, Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer is the man who organized the white boy protest in Charlottesville, uh, which turned out to be an absolute debacle. Uh, I, I, I said this before. I said I've said many times that Richard Spencer handed out spears and he told, told the white boys to charge the machine gun. Uh, and they they all got mowed down, you know, and I, 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 I it was irresponsible of him to do that. I don't know his culpability, but the fact is that uh, it, it, the only reason they got mowed down was because they were white. They thought they had constitutional protection. In other words, the freedom of speech and the right to assemble, uh, which is in the Constitution. What they didn't realize is as soon as you're white, you have no rights anymore. Because you're a bad person, because every white person is a racist. That goes with the narrative. You're the opposite of black. Black is good. That means white is bad. It used to be white is good and black is bad. But that's it's the same paradigm going back and forth. So you have no rights as a white boy. Are the Irish listening here? The same thing applies to you. You will have no rights as soon as you identify as white. You play right into Veradikar's hands, and he can do whatever he wants to you. Now, the opposite happened in America when uh, that FBI report came out about Catholics. Now, at this point, uh, Josh Hawley hauled Merrick Garland, who's the attorney general, into the Senate, and he waved this paper at him that says, the FBI's now going after conservative Catholics. And Merrick Garland immediately says, no, no, that's wrong. I said, well, he's got the, we got the paper right here. He had to back down immediately. Now, I guarantee you, if Josh Hawley 
had said to Merrick Garland, I hear you're going after white people, he would say, yes, of course. This, this is the difference. Yep. And so he finally beat Garland down to the point where his back is to the wall and he has to say the final thing that every Jew says when his pants are down or his hands is in the till. He had to say, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. That was his final escape card. But shows you how desperate he was. And I'm saying that is what happens in America is the same thing. It also applies to Ireland. If you identify as white, you are playing into the hands of your enemies and they will destroy you. Yeah, and it means, you know, the end of nations, which is exactly what the UN want, what the New World Order want, they what the Jews want. They don't want nations. So no. once you stop saying, I'm Irish and calling yourself white, well, then that's the end of your borders. So, oh, I mean, I know I am not popular because I call these people out. Um, you know, the white boys that have attacked you, that the far right in Ireland, they're all puppets. I mean, one of them who's very high profile, he was drunk over Christmas and he gave his Christmas message, you know, drunk because we're Irish. So what else, you know, have a bit of crack, have a bit of, that means fun in Irish and in, in Ireland. But, you know, I said to my audience, well, there I'm vindicated again because oh, these these white boys are completely immoral. They're appalling role models for your sons because they're no better than the degenerate left. They go around, you know, getting drunk out of their minds. Do we need Irish men to be sober at this existential crisis in this existential crisis, this moment that we're in? where our country is collapsing all around us and these idiots, these white boys are out getting drunk. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, it's not, a, <laughs> it's not a good sign. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. No, but you've made the point and I thought that that illustrated it very, very well. So now I wanted to ask you about um, fiducious supplicants as well, because you've... Um, taken a very firm line on this and you believe that the Catholic far-right press, such as LifeSite News, are misinterpreting, or I must actually talk about that as well, but that they're completely misinterpreting what was actually said by the Vatican. Will you explain that? Yeah, they refuse to talk about the actual document. The one thing that all of these reactions have in common is they don't want to talk about the actual document. The actual document uh, says there's an example. <laughs> there's an example, prime example. Now, these, these are not uh, lightweight. Certainly, John Finnis is not a lightweight. Uh, Robbie George is a political operative. John Finnis is a moral theologian. I'm not sure who the other guy is. Uh, but it's first things. And I'm sorry to say, but if it's in first things, it has to have the Jewish seal of approval before it gets published. That's the job of uh, Rusty Reno, who is the, the editor of that magazine. That magazine was founded by Richard John Newhouse, who stole $250,000 of Bradley Grant from uh, Tom Fleming and the Rockford Institute and started this thing with the blessing of uh, Norman Podaritz and Midge Dechter, the power couple of neoconservatism, two Jews. Podaritz was the editor of, uh, of Commentary for a while. So Newhouse did this. 
to create a kind of Jewish internal front to oppose uh, uh, the Rockford people. That's what it's been. That has always been. If you write this on the First Things website, there's a guy who's being paid money to erase it immediately. No one wants you to talk about this. And so I think that basically the pressure here it was enormous. I don't know whether it was like in Ireland, but what happened here was a lynch mob. Uh, and and the, the man who really clarified this in my mind was John Waters when he talked about the lynch mob that drove him out of uh, the job he had, wherever he, he was writing for. I forget the name of that thing. Twitter yeah, is. Yeah, Shines or, yeah. Yeah, whatever whatever he was writing for. He, he What you had is, he talked about how different it is now. Before, when you had a comment on an article, uh, you had to uh, write a letter to the editor and had to sign your own name. And at that point, you had to give uh, an address we're real person. none of that applies anymore to the internet nobody knows who these people are and so what you had was a document that came out that basically affirmed the church's teaching on marriage it said that marriage can only be between a man and a woman and secondly it affirmed the traditional teaching on blessings which is a blessing does not bless the sin you the, the the example that was in the mind here of these people was um, couples in irregular situations. So that generally means a divorced and remarried couple. Okay, they are committing adultery. Adultery is a sin. Okay, so what, the priest. What, they, Mike, they, what, what sort of sin is it? It's a mortal sin. Explain what a mortal sin is. Mortal means death. So it's death, death to the soul. Okay, now mortal sin. So you, if you're you're dead to the soul, you're you're not available to God's grace. You have to go and go to confession. You have to confess your sin and reestablish your relationship with God when you're in a state of mortal sin. Uh, now, adult- what about these? Sorry, I just, just I know we don't want to go down this road, but just to ask you, what about couples who were sort of carried away by the modern culture? Um, of recent years and believe that divorce is acceptable. Um, what would you say to them to get out of this state of mortal sin? Um, because they do want to reconnect with the Catholic faith. Right. What would you say to them? Well, f- f- first of all, you're talking about people suddenly when the, the first wave of passion wears off, they suddenly have second thoughts. And as they get older, I think these second thoughts become more and more significant. Mm-hmm. And so you 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 have just you go to confession. Now the point here is, if you go to confession, you have to make a firm purpose of amendment, which means I'm not going to do it again. Well, these people are in a relationship now, and sexual relationships are what? What should I say? They kind of glue you together. That's the whole point of it. And now you're you're in a state of you know you're married to one woman, but you got you know you're living with another woman. Well, you're committing adultery. And so if you, you, these are people who are coming to the priest, I think, and they're saying, look, we know it's wrong, but I can't, I can't break up this relationship. So I don't know what to do. And so the priest will say, okay, you, what you have to do is you have to refrain from having sexual relations. Oh, that, that, you know, I can't do that. And at that point says, well, I'm I'm sorry, but that's what you got to do. But in the meantime, I will give you a blessing that will help you move to the position where you, where you need to be. 
that's the whole theology of blessings. And what this document did, I think, was expanded to homosexual couples. Now, you can say, well, wait a minute. There's no such thing as a homosexual couple. Okay, is there such a thing as a heterosexual couple? Well, marriage is an objective category of reality, okay? That is uh, the bait of a couple. If some guy and some woman who are sleeping with each other and are not married, are they a couple? Um, They may feel they are, but it's obviously not marriage. And so I'm not the guy to minimize the difference between homosexuality, homosexual sins, and heterosexual sins. This is a deep gulf, but they're both mortal sins, and you're both dead in the soul, and you need to repent. So this is the situation. Now, a lot of these people object to the fact of what is a homosexual couple. Okay, there's no objective reality about that, like you know, I'm a partner in a law firm and I signed this contract or I'm married or anything like that. It's not there, but it may exist in their mind that they are some type of couple and the church is simply trying to accept them where they are and say, okay, you're not really a couple. Okay, you're not really, you can't get married. This is a sinful relationship. I know it's difficult to get out of it, so I'll give you this blessing and hope the blessing will move you into the right direction where you can finally uh, confess your sins and get right with God. So the uh, Fiducius Supplicon simply expanded the idea of a couple in regular situations to include homosexual couples. Now, they made it clear that they they are not condoning the sin of homosexuality, and all of these clarifications were completely ignored, including by people who should know better, like John Finnis. That's not what's in the text. And when you're dealing with a magisterial document, you have to focus on the text. That's all there is. There is nothing to object to in this document. All of the objections are basically, it's the thin end of the wedge. And what they're really doing, these these are guys who are playing 4D chess or whatever it is. What they're really doing is paving the way for acceptance of homosexual marriage. That's not the case. He said this specifically, a man I respect, uh, Father Brian Harrison, who spent a lot of time in Rome, an Australian uh, living in the United States now, said he thinks the exact opposite is true. He thinks that Fernandez basically issued this now to basically cut off the whole pro-gay marriage crowd at the pass, and the pass is going to be the synod, the synodality movement, where Probably some Germans are going to say that uh, uh, you can. Uh, we need homosexual marriage. So I think they cut that off. That is the main objection. Okay, it didn't do. Uh, uh, they're honest enough in this thing to say it didn't do it, but they're saying down the road it may lead to. And you may be right, but you have to make a distinction between the document and the abuse of the document. And so the irony here is, immediately, you have. James Martin, the main proponent of homosexuality in the Catholic Church, uh, giving a blessing. The picture is there. The picture goes on to the New York Times front page, and it says blessing, and you get, it sounds like gay marriage. The exact opposite end of the spectrum is saying exactly the same thing. Both of these ends of the spectrum, I'm talking about LifeSite News, Michael Matt, Taylor Marshall, this Michael, Bob Voris is out of commission. He's not saying anything anymore. 
But they're all saying it's gay marriage and it's not. Both sides are wrong. It is not gay marriage. It is completely theologically defensible. Now, I think they saw which way it was going. And what they did was orchestrate another event. And that's what I've been calling Tucogate. There's the picture I was referring to. Okay. What happened after that is the release of this book that uh, Fernandez wrote 20 years ago that is supposedly uh, pornography. Uh, and that had the way, that was a very skilled political move uh, because it distracted everyone once again from the document of fiducia supplicans. And now we're talking not only about what it didn't say, we're talking about a completely different document now that no one has read. I haven't read it. It was in Spanish. People are writing to me now and they're saying, wait a minute, I read it. It's not pornography. But that then the lynch mob comes out. And they go after me and they say, how can you defend a pornographer who is head of the Catholic or the Catholic Church? This is the type of lynch mob shouting that this whole thing degenerated into. I think in defense, though, of traditional Catholics, the last thing like we need a statement from Rome being very clear about what homosexuality is, that it is sodomy, that it is a sin of the most grave or, I mean, it's a mortal sin, that it is a, it's a, a, a mental disease. And, you know, I mean, there's, that it brings so much hell for those people who are involved in it. And like, that's really all we need to hear about sodomy from the Vatican you know I mean I don't that's my feeling about it I, I don't think it can be defended in any way shape or form you mean fiducia supplicans cannot be defended yes okay well I, yeah. I feel that you know I mean the, 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 the Vatican shouldn't be making statements about homosexuality at all except in the same way they shouldn't be making statements about the Jews at all except to say we condemn sodomy and we condemn uh judaism okay all right i, I, I mean that's uh, what it was when we were growing up but obviously things have changed right things are changed now and it's not the way it was this is the, they're not the, supposed to change the, Catholicism. the sin that dare not mention his name is now being blabbed all over the new york times so the world has changed and i think that that's precisely what uh what uh this is in reaction to I think that that's exactly the world that they're reacting to. Now, okay, the question, so let's go back to you. You don't like it, okay? Now, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? that? Now, I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot because I'm not, this is a rhetorical question, but that is precisely what got weaponized in the United States by this crowd of people who used this to spread confusion among people who are already confused, and more importantly, to undermine the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. That's what happened after Tuco. That was the purpose of Tuco Gate, and that's what happened afterwards. You had all of these people with their sarcasm, like Michael Matt and his superiority complex, like uh, who are who do these people? Who takes these people seriously? Their ridicule. 
of, of, of Rome, the ridicule of what is the teaching authority of the Catholic Church, their attempt to undermine it, okay, was shameful. And it led, and the comments, the actual comments uh, were schismatic. There's absolutely no question in my mind. What we have here is a schismatic movement. I've already talked about that with the whole Voris thing. We talked about, I think we talked about this before, the Voris. Oh, we, we, we didn't talk about Voris, but I, I was hoping that we could talk about him briefly because not, ma- like, just explain to people who Michael Voris is. In, okay, okay, okay. So Michael Voris comes on, like, a couple of years ago, is like this phenomenon, and he's kind of kick butt and take names. He's naming all these bishops and so on and so forth. Okay, and uh, I, I got swept into his orbit through because the guy who lent him some money wanted me and him to collaborate. So, and then suddenly his homosexual past catches up with him. Now, at this point, I am going to emphasize the gravity of homosexual sin, and I'm saying that those of us who are heterosexuals don't understand it because we don't participate in it. Now, I said. Adultery is mortal sin. Sodomy is a mortal sin. But there's a difference because sodomy is a sin against nature and adultery is not. And a sin against nature has a distorting effect on the soul that can't be underestimated. And the classic example was Michael Voris. The picture it looks like the portrait of Dorian Gray right there. Uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing so right there. The jacket says it all. The color of the jacket says it all. But anyway. So, so it, it had it had such a distorting effect on Michael Voris that all he could t- he was obsessed with homosexuality because he he was a homosexual and he had gone not just any homosexual he was going on gay cruises he was totally involved in that lifestyle then he gets religion I don't want to question anyone's uh, conversion but he goes from being the guy on the gay cruise to being the spokesman for the Catholic Church wait a minute that you can't do that. And that's exactly what he did. And you began to realize this guy is obsessed. He can't see anything about the Catholic Church. All he can see is his own narcissistic fantasies of him saving the Catholic Church. And those fantasies are a function of the depravity that he engaged in that he wants to escape from now. And that blew up. It blew up seven years ago. I wrote the book and all of these people ignored me. And then it blew up again. Back then, they said, oh, you don't believe in forgiveness, do you? That's when the lynch mob, the first lynch mob came out. You don't, Of course I believe in forgiveness. I said, you don't believe in penance, do you? Because penance is part of forgiveness. And penance, I said this before, but St. John Chrysostom says the arrow is the sin. If you remove the arrow, the wound is still there, and you've got to take care of that wound. And I'm guaranteeing you, if you're a homosexual narcissist, the last thing you want to do is stand in front of a camera, which is exactly what Michael Voris did, and that blew up. Now, it, wait a minute. Who is the, Who are these people? The second book, that the article I just wrote, this is seven years later. The first one is explaining the gravity of homosexuality. The second one is, well, who, who created these people? I hate to bring it back to me, but why didn't you read my book? You know, and I'm, ta- I'm going to be specific now. Taylor Marshall and Timothy Gordon did a show with me right after that book came out. They ignored everything I said about in that book about Michael Voris. And they said, why did you call Mother Angelica a lesbian? 
I said, I didn't do that. It's exactly what happened with Seducia Supplicans. The, I was saying, where is that in the document? Show me that document. They weren't interested in what I wrote. They were interested in the image in their mind of what I wrote, and they refused to accept the truth, which is that I didn't say it. Got a replay here now. So they ignored that then. Gordon went on to work for this guy. Now he's a, a coach telling young guys how to be masculine. Uh, uh, G- Mr. Gordon, if, if you were so masculine, why did you spend seven years working for a homosexual? That sounds kind of degrading to me. But but anyway, that that that's what happened there. So we had this. Now it's come back. And now who are those people? I think we have to go to the Bible. These are people who have itching ears. They won't tolerate sound doctrine. They want someone to make the tickle their itching ears and make them feel superior to the Catholic Church because they watch Michael Horace or something like that. And Strickland, Bishop Strickland, was being dragged into this, basically, a schismatic movement. That's what it is. When you Look, how many times did I get an email telling me, you, you Novus Ordo Catholics, I'm telling you right now, as soon as you hear the word Novus Ordo Catholic, you're dealing with a schismatic. Because this is a man who feels that he's superior to the Catholic Church as the real Catholic Church, the one I belong to. And the comm box was full of people talking this way. Bogus Ordo, you boomers, you all this insulting rhetoric by guys, hey, courageous guys who won't even give you their real name, okay, who are now superior to the church of Rome. I'm saying, look, simple choice. Nature abhors a vacuum. There's always going to be a pope. And if you depose Francis, you're going to take over his place. So my my question is, who do you want to be pope? You want Francis to be pope? Or do you want Taylor Marshall to be pope? Which is it? Because you got to make a choice. And these people, it's all heading in the direction of Taylor Marshall is the next pope. He's the real magisterium. If you really want to know what the Catholic faith is, you have to sign on with Taylor Marshall, LifeSite News, Michael Matt, and it used to be Michael Forrest. There's my original book. Uh, that's what's that's what the story is. And you wrote that in twenty sixteen, did you? Uh yeah. yeah. Around then, yeah, yeah. So it was well known that he was uh, sodomite. Yes, it was well known, wasn't it? Well, now it was. I mean, I said it in a book, and he he used to he used to he would he would sue people at the drop of a hat. They ask Mike Parrott about that. Okay, caused him a lot of pain. He never once threatened to sue me, and people would say to him, "Well, Michael, you're suing all these other people. Why don't you sue E. Michael Jones?" Well, because the truth is a. Uh, is an ultimate defense here. Mm-hmm. And he knew that he couldn't, he couldn't do anything. And so he didn't do it. And then he finally said, Oh, the statute of limitations expired and now he's gone. And now he's well, gone. Is, was he a plant all along? Do you think, was he a plant? Like, was he planted in by the Jews or something? I mean, cause these retreats at sea, they're, they're not very, um, I don't know. Like they, they seem quite lavish to me um yeah that was that was during lent too so you can have a five course meal during lent and listen to michael voris talk about penance i mean anybody anybody with a brain uh, well i don't i don't want to get into that okay well, no but what was was there were they held during lent were they yeah they were of course they were 
Now, I, I, I've never been on a cruise, but people tell me that one of the main reasons you go on is to gorge yourself for, you know, for 24 hours a day. Uh, so that's not appropriate for Lent. But, I mean, it should have been a dead giveaway, but it wasn't. Why wasn't it? Because the people are confused. Mm. People are confused. And all these people come along and they say, I will solve the problem for you. Just send me $100 a month and everything will be okay. And a lot of but people fell for it. But, Mike, why are they confused? Because when they go to the Vatican II churches, Catholic Church, they're getting so many confusing messages. Whereas at least when they go to their traditional rite, it's exactly as it was centuries ago. Nothing changes. They know exactly what they're going to get. They're going to get a traditional sermon. You know, you, you know, like the reason why I'm increasingly inclined to go to those sorts of masses is because my blood pressure alone stays normal. Whereas when you have one of these gay priests, okay, he'll do 90% of the mass fine. But then once the sermon begins, you know, he's talking about Afghani refugees and why we have to basically give our houses over to them. Whereas you, you listen to a traditional sermon and it's about, you know, the importance of women in the home, the importance of children's Catholic, getting a Catholic education, you know, the things that we know people need to hear. So, like, it is very sickening to have to listen to these gay priests when you go into these Novus Ordo churches. So, is it any wonder if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're go on gay cruises then? Well, gay cruises are, 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 I mean, that's ridiculous. But I mean, no, no, let's, I'm, let's go, let's no, go, sorry. let's go back. Hey, let's Michael go back Morris. to Michael let's, Morris, Right. Let's go back to what you were saying. Of course, people were scandalized at the abuses that took place in the church after Vatican II. Gemma, I've been doing this for over 40 years now. I know you have. Okay. And no one has talked more about the abuses of the church that have taken place this time than I have because nobody's older than I am anymore. I'm one of the oldest guys around now, still standing. So I can say that I've dealt with, I dealt with the homosexual issue uh, in 1980 when I wrote that book, uh, the, it's in Degenerate Moderns, the Anthony Blunt, Homosexual Subversive. I'm the one who outed Kinsey as a homosexual. But everyone, so was, not, in, everyone was in agreement with you then. Things and then suddenly, and now suddenly, people, I'm getting letters like, I thought you were great until you did this. You just destroyed your entire reputation, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to tell you, Gemma, I, it's not the first time I've gotten this letter. I got it when I did the book on Medjugorje. It was exactly the same thing. One group of people took something as a litmus test, and you weren't a good Catholic unless you accepted the messages of Our Lady of Medjugorje. By the way, I don't know whether you know this, but guess who's going to Medjugorje? Bishop no, Bishop Strickland. It's even oh. worse. Bishop Strickland is going to Medjugorje. Oh, no. <laughs> Michael. Well, half of Ireland goes to Medjugorje. I know they do, but <laughs> half, half of Ireland is not a bishop. Oh, this, is, this is pathetic. Can't you stop him? Can't you... Like right, go down to where you mean he, kidnap him? Uh, do you want to get up a, uh, a plan to kidnap Bishop Strickland and deprogram him? <laughs> At least he's not going on Michael Voris's cruise because he was involved <laughs> with him. Oh no! Oh, oh no! I know, I know, no. But listen, I've been. I was there 
I said last year, but I, I meant I was talking about it the other night. I, I, I meant 2022. Um, but I found it a very holy place. Like I, do, I don't believe in the apparition there. I don't. I believe in most of the others. I do think they are scientific and true. There was nobody, as I said to you before, like they're not staring up at the sun. It's just a really holy place. Like it's a are really. You are you talking about Medjugorje? Yes, I am. Sorry. Uh, so uh, I Medjugorje is infested with demons. <laughs> yeah, but everything Catholic is. <laughs> That's what so happens I, to the I Catholic said, Church. I, I, the I say this. To us. That's true. But it's a, he's even more attracted to Medjugorje because St. John of the Cross said whenever people seek, the, the devil rejoices when people seek private revelations. What we're, let's, let's take a step back here. What does this have in common? Okay, whether it's the Latin Mass, whether it's Medjugorje, whether it's whatever it is, you're taking one part and you're making it the litmus test for whether other people are a good Catholic or not. That's the problem here. That's exactly what all of these people doing. What you had here with Boris and Strickland, they were ready to link up. That was the whole point why this thing blew up uh, when it did, why Strickland got fired. Boris was supposed to, Strickland is uh, sponsoring this, this community in Tyler, Texas called Veritatis Splendor, where you can plunk down a uh, million dollars or something like that and buy a plot of land and go live there with the blessing of Bishop Strickland. And then the man, they're going to have a media center and Voris is going to be the head of the media center. Oh, oh no. no. Oh no. You look, you can tell, you can hear the bishops groaning all the way from, uh, from Los Angeles here. What we have is the, the main bishop basher in America, Michael Voris, now going to be training young people to imitate him attacking the bishops with the blessing of Bishop Strickland. No wonder they got rid of him. The whole thing is a big Jewish psyop. There must be a Jew involved in all of this somewhere, Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it has to be. I mean, honestly, somebody's been bought off. But no, I mean, to like, I know a lot of my viewers would be supporters of Medjugorje. I think, you know, the, re the revelations cannot be taken seriously. But I think most people are not there for that. And I think there's so much prayer, there's so much devotion to Our Lady there that Our Lady must, you know, I just feel that it, it's such a Catholic place. The masses are packed thousands of people every day well when i was there anyway in summer and um people lining the streets for confession and like even the police have their rosary beads hanging from their cars i you know it's just a little catholic enclave in the middle of eastern europe and um you have, all, you have all of this catholic piety i've been there i was there twice okay okay i was there in uh 80 no 88 and I was there in 96. And you have all of the paraphernalia of Catholic piety all being practiced in rebellion against the local bishop. Wow. Bishop Perich, who was the bishop then, I met with him then, condemned them. Bishop Zonich, his predecessor, condemned them. All of this piety is taking place under the auspices of rebellion against legitimate authority, and it's 
worthless if you're in rebellion against the church. It's worthless. You can say a million rosaries, and if you say them in disobedience to church authority, they're worthless. But many saints were against. Like, look at St. Catherine of Siena. I mean, she challenged the papacy. There were many great saints who challenged the papacy and the bishopry, you know. Okay, so so if you're a great saint, I'll, I'll give you a pass here. But are you telling me that five well, million five million people showing up as as uh, apparition junkies and and c- Catholic tourists are saints? I, I don't I don't I don't buy it. What I see is uh, what I saw was itching ears. Okay, there's another category here: silly women obsessed with their sins. It also comes from uh, Paul's letter to Timothy to Timothy. Uh, so I'm. On my way back, I'm in an airplane. I got the middle seat, which I don't like, and I got one lady on one side and one lady on the other, and they are both silly and they are both obsessed with their sins. And they're trying to, every time I listen to one, the other one's grabbing me. No, listen to me. This is what I did. I, I committed even greater sins than that. And then no, the other one's right. No, no, I, my sins were greater. This is this is what ha- this the psychology Maybe here that's is more to do with you, Michael. That you know you have this sort of I don't know these priestly tendencies. I know they thought I was a father confessor. I felt <laughs> like saying I felt like saying go to confession. Don't tell me. But th- this one lady uh, has eye damage because she looked at the sun when she was there. Uh, but she that um, makes that that eye damage is a sign of her holiness because she was stupid enough to stare into the sun. I'm saying this is a yeah. phenomenon. Gemma, it's a phenomenon. I, I didn't when see you have, I, when, I you have, when you have massive defection from sexual morality, uh, when, these pe- yeah. when these women reach menopause, they all convert to some type of pious religious practice. Uh, it's the same thing. Paul recognized it in his day. And that's what we were seeing with Medjugorje. It's not all that different than what we're seeing now. People tell me that uh, Taylor Marshall's main audience is, is women. I don't have I don't have anything against women, Gemma. By the way, I, I even married one. Okay, so I have okay. nothing against women. I don't mind. I'm not a feminazi. So no, I, I know. I know. I, I know. But and I'm no. saying this is this is the diagnosis of Saint Paul. Well, I'd rather pious women than sluts. Okay, there's enough sluts to go around. So if women are so, like, if postmenopausal women are suddenly going to start being pious, I don't have a problem. I know you're not saying that exactly, but I'm saying the the reason they they are what they are now, silly women obsessed with their sins, is that they were sluts. It's not as if they're they're two completely different categories. It depends on the stage of life that you're in, you know. And I'm saying this 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 uh, uh, ostentatious uh, narcissistic Catholicism is a form of virtue signaling, and it's not the Catholic Church. Believe me, I'm going to stick with the Pope in Rome. I, I'm not going to follow Taylor Marshall. Yeah, but you see, you've got the virtue signaling going on with the Novus Ordo women as well, who are up on the altar, and they're changing the words of St. Paul to say he and she. I mean, I've challenged these women. And they are they are as bad as the, the you know the nauseatingly pious ones who dictate to you about um you the know one, the one is the cause of the other. The one is the yeah. cause of the other. The narcissistic the problem is narcissism, not Catholicism, I think. 
It's a personality trait. But I know I know what you, you're like when I went to Medjugorje, I said to myself, if they're looking up at the sun and staring at the sky, I'm leaving because I'm not I don't want to be. I wanted to see was it like that? And I didn't see anyone staring at the sun or looking for any signs. They just were devoutly praying the rosary. And it was very low key. I felt now the rosary, the rosary bead shops are appalling, but you get them in Lourdes, you get them in all the pilgrimage sites, Fatima. So that just goes with the, but uh, you know, it's better that they're selling rosary I, beads. Look, God, God allowed me to go to Fatima early on, right after I started the magazine. And it was an experience that uh, a, a deep spiritual experience that allowed mm. me to judge Medjugorje better uh, because they're like night and day, Fatima and Medjugorje. They're like night and day. And, and Lord, 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 I've never been to Lords, but I okay. have been to Fatima. Actually, I, I helped carry the, the pilgrim virgin, not the, the, the virgin that gets carried to, to Fatima. I ended up carrying mm. it when they, it was one of the big celebrations and there were a million people there and I carried mm. it up to the altar. Wonderful. Uh, so I, I'm not I'm no stranger to this type of thing. I say the rosary every day, but that's not what Medjugorje is. And and the devil is a lot smarter than we think because he can use the paraphernalia of holiness to lead you out of the church. That's exactly the danger. Look, is the Bible a good thing? Yes. Can the Bible lead you out of the church? Of course it can. Have you heard of Luther? That's exactly what he did. He needed the Bible to lead those German Catholics out of the church. Is the rosary a good thing? Yes. Okay. But in Medjugorje, it's being used to rebel against legitimate church authority. And in that sense, it's not good. But I wouldn't say Medjugorje is particularly traditional Latin SSPX types. I think no, a lot of them are not. still within the Vatican II church. You know, oh, it's, the, more they, than, it's more than that. The founders of it were charismatics. Yeah. There was a, a heavy charismatic uh, overlay to the mass that was uh, celebrated. They're, they're, in not rebe- they're not rebelling against the Vatican at all. Like they're falling into line. They're very obedient. No, I said, no, they are rebelling against the local bishop because the, the, seers, bishop, yeah. the, seers, the seers were pawns of the Franciscans of Bosnia, Herzegovina. They had had a war with the bishop for a long time. And then when the apparition started, Jozo Zofko, it was two priests, Jozo Zofko and Tomislav Vlasic. Vlasic was out of town, and Zofko brought them into the church. The kids started spouting all kinds of nonsense, and he just said, we're going to have it in the church from now on. And that's when the Franciscans took it over, and they became the ones who would vet all of the messages that the children would say. And so in the beginning, you had all kinds of crazy stuff about bloody handkerchiefs dropping into puddles and starting World War III. And the man who could interrogate them in their language was Bishop Zonich. He spoke their language. And at a certain point, he told me this. I was there talking to him. Same thing with Parrish. He threw up his hand and said, look, this is crazy. I can't accept that. And he was favorably disposed to it at the beginning. But, but but what does he is he still alive? No, he's dead. He's dead, is he? And what about the current bishop? He's probably yeah, Parrish, he's Parrish is Parrish, Bishop Parrish is alive, and uh, he was pushed out. I I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he retired, and then they put this new guy in who's not a 
He's not a, uh, a Croat. He's a Pole. And his job was to facilitate pilgrimages, take care of the pilgrims. Well, that's disastrous. That's policy. Mm. I'm not talking about the magisterium of the Catholic Church now. So separate them in your mind right now. This is a policy where you are pro- promoting something that two previous bishops condemned. Now, if you want my humble opinion, I think that the people in the Vatican Bank were promoting money laundering. And I'm saying that because I got a call from a, a, a parliamentarian, a member of the Bosnian Herzegovian parliament, who told me in detail how Medjugorje had become a, a base for money laundering. Oh, dear. How is that? Okay, so he taught, this is what he told me. So some Italian, there were lots of Italian organizations in Medjugorje. So Oase della Pace, I'm not naming that, it's just one of them. You have an Italian businessman who says, I'm going to make a contribution to the Catholic Church. I'm going to give a million dollars to uh, whatever it is, the Italian operation in Medjugorje. That money then gets taken and they build a gas station. Okay. And then they start making money off it. They're supposed to be charity. Now they're making money off it. And so they gradually return all of that money to the Italian and they keep what is left and everybody's happy. So he gets a break. He doesn't have to pay uh, um, a tax on the money he contributed. He gets it back anyway. And they get money. They got so much money that the Franciscans started their own bank in Mostar. That's what Bishop Parrish pointed out to me the last time I talked to him. So I think that that was a disaster. I said. Franciscans uh, were a disaster. Sorry. So I I was talking to Bishop Parrish at that point, And I said, this is when the whole Cardinal Bichu, Cardinal Bichut scandal came up. Well, he was just punished by the Vatican court for, for all sorts of economic malfeasance. I said to Parrish, I think this guy is behind it. I think this is the man who basically wanted uh, Medjugorje as a money laundering operation. He said, well, we can't judge, uh, rightly so, We're talking about a fellow bishop, and we'll wait for the trial. Well, he was convicted, so I can say he was guilty of malfeasance. Now, whether it was Medjug- how Medjugorje was involved in that, I don't know. I don't have his bank account number, but I suspect that that's what's going on. And that, I said, when the new, when Francis became Pope, I said the litmus test of whether his papacy will be effective is whether he deals with Medjugorje. That was presumptuous of me. Who am I to judge, right? As the Pope said, I'm not here to judge the Pope, but I know what the story of Medjugorje is. And it was a disastrous move when they suddenly said, allow pilgrimage to go there. Because basically, whoever did it, Your Excellency, you were putting these poor, confused Catholics in the presence of demons literally demons. And on top of that, even if you don't believe my story about demons, you're putting them into the hands of ruthless Croatian crooks who want to exploit them uh, financially by fleecing them, uh, including the seers. You can spend a night with uh, uh, Mirjana, sleep in her house. I suppose if you paid her enough, you could probably sleep in the same bed with her. And she would... And she, and she would and she would have an appar- she would have an apparition in her home and you would be there this is shameful shameful behavior did you ever hear of sister lucia building a pensione and charging you money to sleep in her pensione have you ever heard that's preposterous 
did think she, about did, that. Did, did, did the seer do that? From of course they did. All of them did that. They charged they, money. Yeah, you stay at their house. You have a private apparition with the seer, and you pay a premium price there to stay in her bed and breakfast. Well, that's not good. I mean, no. I, I don't trust them at all. I don't trust them. But I think the good has sort of overtaken that negative bollocal influence that the seers obviously have brought to the place. But look, no, I, you're making incredibly valid points. I know a lot of people in Ireland won't be happy, but, you know. It's my it's my middle name, Gemma. I've spent my entire life pissing off people who so thought I was I. great. I thought, I, I thought you were great until you wrote that book on Medjugorje, and now I realize you're just a blah, blah, blah. Now, when you, uh, are, you have the one characteristic that you're supposed to have as a Catholic, and that's courage. You know, the courage to be unpopular and to speak truths that have to be told. And there's thank you. not enough courage within Catholics, certainly in Ireland. You know, they're very, they're in fear. And that is diabolical. When they're too afraid of their government, that they are possessed by the devil. You know, when they're doing, they're doing their rosaries and all of that, but they're not standing up to the government. That's right. You and have to use it. You have to use it to get the strength to go out into the world and make exactly. it make the world safe for decent people by opposing yeah. these con men and crooks and tyrants and and degenerates and the whole thing. You can't. Yeah. You, it's 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 Jesus said. It. You know, you have to sh shout it from the rooftops. It's not enough just to stay all by yourself in your little corner or where you smoke dope and leave me alone. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, whether it's your apparition or whether it's your Latin mass or whatever it is, I don't want to denigrate anything like that. But yeah. I'm saying if you're using that as an excuse not to go out in the world and do battle against evil, uh, you're not following Christ, Christ's commandment. Absolutely. That is fundamental. And it's not, I just see so much weakness among my fellow Catholics. You know, they just are terrified, absolutely terrified of their shadows. And, you fear, know. Fear is useless. What is needed is love. Perfect love drives out fear. So you don't have love. I think that all these places that are so crippled with fear, there's no love there. So get back mm -hmm. to love. Start, start embracing the font of all love. Uh, Jesus Christ, who died because he loved us. And then you'll have the courage to go out and 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 take on the world yeah. because, you know, you have you've been strengthened by that love. It's that simple. Completely. Absolutely. Now, I know you we, we finish up, Mike, because we're at the hour. But did you want to mention the new chapter of the Holocaust? Narrative? Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I actually, Gemma, Gemma, you're intimately involved in this, by the way, oh, dear. because it, it was you who uh, got Jim uh, Rizzoli on my case. Okay. Do you remember that? I mean, do this I is, was, do I was you know, that class? <laughs> I got, I got uh, ambushed by Jim Rizzoli, uh, who opened up a whole thing that I didn't even think about, which is basically that the, the white boys and the Jews are in perfect agreement about excluding the Catholic narrative from the uh, from the story of what happened in the concentration camps. So this this made a, a big impression on me, and I want to be open to what these guys are saying. So I wrote uh, a, a new epilogue. So 
I had to include the, the Lentz story. The father of Johann Lentz. The story. Remind people what this was. So you were saying in Dachau that priests, Catholics were persecuted because they were Catholic. Jim Rizzoli is saying that, no, that these were left-leaning subversives. They weren't proper Catholics and they weren't going along with what the Reich wanted, which was like, you know, submission to Hitler. And But that they would work with the Vatican. They'd continue to allow Catholic schools, etc. But if they were not accepting that the Reich were running the show, then they would be going to concentration camps. Right, you were right. saying no. So Jim, so Jim, Jim or Rizzoli was basically saying, oh, they're, they're, it's their own damn fault. They were all communists. Well, that's not yeah. true. That's not true. He couldn't provide any proof because he just doesn't, he doesn't deal in that kind of stuff. So an Australian guy wrote to me and uh, we had this conversation. Good, bring, bring it up. Uh, and the, you know, so we went around and sent me some material. Well, uh, you know, that's what got me started here. So, okay, you want to, let's just bracket Lens, okay? It is what it is. So the last chapter. Father Lens, just to explain Father Lens. Father Lens was an Austrian priest who ended up in Dachau. He spent six years in Dachau, nearly died there in 42 of starvation. And he wrote a book after the war called uh, Christus in Dachau in German. Uh, I read the original German. It's now, you can get it in English from Sophia Press. There's a, a translation out there. Uh, and there's a memoir about what was going on in the concentration camps. And the fact is, Dachau, the first and main group, were Catholics. This is completely written out of the narrative. There was a liturgical life in Dachau. There were hundreds of priests, two bishops, and they all were celebrating the liturgy, and they saw a meaning in Dachau, that suffering has a purpose, and that Germany was being punished for the sin of atheism. And the priests were there to expiate that sin of atheism. And that's the message of Christus in Dachau. That came out in 1955. Three years later, we have the Jewish hijacking of the narrative when Elie Wiesel writes, Night, he didn't write it, it's in French. Francois Mauriac wrote it. Uh, but the message of, so message of, the message of Auschwitz is God died at Auschwitz. So now the whole narrative has been turned completely upside down. Dachau was the paradigmatic concentration camp. It was created in 1933 as soon as the Nazis came to power. It lasted all the way to the end. It was replaced. It was primarily Catholic. They, the Catholics were the main victims of that at that point, long before the Jews. I just Part of the, what you read in that chapter is that Heinrich Bruning, German chancellor, who, uh, when Hitler came to power, uh, the man who came up, uh, pushed uh, the Concordat with, uh, between the Nazis and Rome, he said the Jews, there were plenty of Jews who supported Hitler all the way up to Kristallnacht, which was 1938. And it was only then that they turned against uh, Hitler completely. That meant that the main victim was the Catholics. And so now Auschwitz is the, uh, the, the paradigmatic concentration camp. The Catholics are completely excluded. If you look at the uh, Wikipedia, I, I forget which one it was, the History Channel, they don't even mention Catholics. They mention queers. They mention gypsies. They mention yeah. every, obviously, even, Jews. Even though more Catholics died in Auschwitz than Jews. Right, right, because, of their, because they were Poles. Okay, so you're talking about the, the narrative has been hijacked. We Catholics are once again victims of identity theft. And once again, it's the Jews who have stolen our identity here.
That's why, what this. Why did the rock hate Catholics so much? Because they were Protestant. Why did who take Catholic? The Reich. Why did hit? Why do you believe that the the Nazis, the National Socialists, hated Catholics so much? Because they had succumbed to a, uh, a neo pagan ideology, mm-hmm. and uh, they wanted that was basically the German religion. It was now the state religion. This worship of race. All of the Catholic priests, I mean bishops, uh, denounced this. Uh, the German Catholic bishops and now this was the ideology was the idolatry of race. It was a competing religion. And yeah. the, the, the Germans didn't want it. The Nazis didn't want any competition. That's why they, that's why they went after him. So, okay, let's leave Lentz aside. I brought the last chapter is about father Fitkow. Tell another us priest. Him. So Fitkow is a priest in East Prussia. He shows up in East Prussia in 1944. He's there in Zuzenberg. He immediately files problems with the Nazis. They drag him in, they interrogate him, and they would have sent him to Dachau except for the fact that the Soviet army is now at the door. Okay, and then the Soviet army sweeps in and the Nazis retreat, and now... Fitkow is arrested by the commies now. He was arrested by the Nazis. Now he's arrested by the commies. Now he's interrogated. And they send him to their concentration camp. So this is the story of Catholics. He was like there for one moment. So he gets sent to Petkora. It's like north of Murmansk. It's like the frozen north where he works. They try and work him to death. He said he, again, had that spiritual perspective. He was held captive for one year. And then he's sent back. And at that point, the real way of the cross begins for not only him, but all of the ethnic Germans. Because now they're going to be expelled from countries where they've lived for hundreds of centuries. This is a deeply German Catholic country in East Prussia. These enclaves are deeply Catholic. And now they are just going to be expelled because... uh, Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin all loved ethnic cleansing. And they thought ethnic cleansing was the way to solve every problem. And so now these people, this is all old people, women, and children, because the men have all been drafted, they're all in the war, and they're forced to pick up on a moment's notice and head west in the middle of the winter with just what they can carry on their backs. Well, guess what? They died like flies on the way. And that this is a tragedy more Germans died during the expulsions, certainly than Jews died during the time of the Third Reich. And no one talks about this story. We're in the process, once again, of erasing our history. We don't count. Okay, we're Catholics. We don't count. The only people who suffering count is the Jews. And they monopolize things and they use their suffering to inflict suffering on the rest of the world, in particular in Gaza. And thank God for the Irish, because they're one of the few nations that is standing up for the rights of the Palestinians at this point. Are you joking? Are you joking? They don't give a damn about the Palestinians. They don't care about themselves. It's a big psyop, Michael. Like these leftist politicians who force vaccinate, who kill the elderly with midazolam in their nursing homes, who are euthanizing, who are aborting babies. 
Oh, Look, I, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Palestinians, I'm, there's money. It's money. It's a racket. All the money going into Palestine is going straight into the coffers of Tel Aviv. They okay. control. That's my opinion. All right. Thank you for disabusing me. I, I won't. I won't compliment the Irish anymore. <laughs> no, don't I've, compliment. I, I, I've, I've learned. I've learned my lesson. They definitely don't deserve. Any okay. Problem. Any, but this is the story. The the untold story is what happened to those poor Catholics or the mostly Germans at the hands of of the Poles, the communists, the Jews, the Czechs, all of those people abandoned. And nobody talks about that anymore. And so that's the the new epilogue for the book. What was the percentage of Catholics in Germany at that time? I think it was. Well, it depends on what you mean by Germany. Okay, so uh, the whole German Reich, the whole eastern part was pretty much Protestant because of cuius reus eius religio. The Bundesrepublik had a much higher percentage of Catholics, like after the war. Adenauer wanted to keep it that way. I I mean, let's let's just settle on like 50-50, depending depending on the area. Obviously, where, where I was on the Lower Rhine, it was mostly Catholic. If you go to... Sachsen, Turingen, those places, it's mostly Protestant, but let's say 50 50 in general. So you're going to add this chapter to, you're going to do um, a reprint, are you, with the new chapter in? Right, thank right. The second edition, because I felt that I had to answer the thanks to you. and Well, Jim, bring- you can thank Jim because it was his fee. So would yeah. you, will we do another debate with Jim? Would you like that? To, to be, let me be perfectly honest with you. It, Don't it, be was, rude. Don't it, it wasn't a pleasant experience the first time around. It was one of the most frustrating experiences I ever had in my life. And listening to him arguing, Hitler was a good man, therefore. Uh, Father Lentz did not suffer in Dachau. That was the type of argument that I had. I don't know how to deal with That's an irrational thing. I think I'll pass on it, John. Well, no, but he, he was saying that Father Lentz believed and subsequently believed in the Holocaust. So therefore, you can't believe a word out of his mouth. But I mean, we all fell for the Holocaust. We all did, including Jim Rizzoli. So that's not a good enough reason to dismiss Father Lentz's testimony. But... Father Father Lentz, I said I mentioned this. Father Lentz said he he looked at, at Todas Merlin, which was the Billy Wilder. No, yeah, that was the Billy Wilder uh, propaganda film. Yeah, everyone was influenced by propaganda films uh, after after the war, and including the German priest. Now uh, they talk about gas chambers. It's true they do talk about gas chambers, uh, but I think it was because they were influenced by the propaganda. He said yeah. there was a he said there was a gas chamber in Dachau. No one says there was a gas chamber in Dachau. Now. The German government says they were never had gas chambers in Dachau. Why he said that? I I suspect he was influenced by propaganda. Does that mean that Father Lenz was not in Dachau? No, no. This is the type of uh, you know if you're going to deal with the reality of the situation, deal with the reality. But yeah. to say that to say that there were no priests there, that they didn't suffer, that they weren't there, be, they were they were there because they were Catholics every bit as much as the Jews in Auschwitz were there because they were Jews. There's no question about that. And yeah. I tried to clarify that in the last uh, the new epilogue, which is going to talk about Father Fitgal and the expulsions. Well, look, it's a fantastic book. Everyone, if you haven't bought it by now, buy it. Buy it. The Holocaust Narrative, 
fidelitypress.org and uh, culturewars.com. It's fidelitypress.org is where you will buy it. Get it. It is the book of the year, as I said. Um, Jim Rizzoli is a big fan of yours, despite everything. He puts all your videos up. So, you. you know, he is he is always willing, I think, to shift his position a little bit. I doubt Good. it when it comes to Catholicism, though. He's he's fairly rigid on his views about Catholicism. But anyway, right. we're praying for him. Yes. So, Mike, so much for your time this evening. All that really interesting information. And we'll talk again very soon. Please, Thank God. You. So I want to just say something to my audience about something that's happening to me regarding the courts. So, Mike, I'll let you go. Thank you very, very much. Okay. Thank you, Gemma. Um, we will, Thank you. We'll be in touch again. Okay. Thank okay. you. Okay. Good night. Bye -bye. God bless. God bless. So, everyone, I'm going to be coming back on in uh, 10 minutes at half past nine because I need to fill you in on a change of plan in relation to what's happening on Friday in this um, appalling action, five-year action that's been taken against me by Jimmy Guerin, the councillor from North Dublin. So if you don't mind, because I do need to let people know about a change, uh, the judge has had a change of heart. So I will end this now, this stream with EMJ, and then I'll come back on in about seven minutes and I'll fill you in on the latest there. So go and have um, put on the kettle and come back to me then at about half past nine, if that's okay. Thank you very much.